I don't guess I'm ever going to get tired of singing Silent Night, you know. And Jan and I were just saying how wonderful it was to sing hymns of faith and hymns of grace. And so glad to be able to do that and do that with all of you. Let's pray together. Father God, we're just so grateful for the beauty of the day, the privilege of this season. Thank you for the thanksgiving we've been able to share together, for the gratitude that you've into this as a lifestyle, not just as a day. May that thanksgiving now, Father, lead us into this season, into these days, into these weeks that are before us. Help us to meet Christ in a new way in these days. Help us to learn something from Christmas about Christ, something that can change us, help us, encourage us, bless us, even this day. Speak from your word into our hearts. I pray for me and us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is great to be here. We had grandkids all weekend. It is really great to be here. Oh, my gosh. How do little people tire out big people so fast? How does this work? We raised two of these, you know, but anyway, five-year-old and three-year-old and three-year-old and one-year-old, and we were so outmatched. We were so, you know, and anyway, they're wonderful, but we're so glad to be. Did I mention we're really glad to be here? Did I mention that to you? You know, we have all these rules. I want to start with an experiment, all right? We've never done this before here in chapel, and you know, we have all these rules. We're highly liturgical here. We're very organized not. And so anyway, I want to try a little experiment with you. I want you, as you're seated, to pick your right foot up and move it in a clockwise direction. All right? Move your foot in a clockwise direction. Anybody do that? Clockwise direction. All right? Now put it down. Now make the number six in the air with your right hand. You're thinking, I came to chapel for this. Now try to do them both at the same time. Is that weird or what? I know. I've tried this. I've said, okay, I'm going to do this. I knew I was going to do this today, so I said, okay, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do this, and I can't do it, and no one really knows why. That's what's so weird about that. No one really knows their theories, but no one really knows why. And you would think maybe that's the only thing we need to learn that we don't know, but that's not true. I discovered this week scientists don't really know why gravity works. Earth's rotation and all that kind of stuff, and there are theories about all that, but no one's entirely certain of that. No one really knows how planets are able to migrate, actually shift around and work. No one knows why animals are able to migrate so successfully. They don't really know. I thought they did. Turns out they don't. They know that they do it, but they don't really know how. I know I have a hard time just getting out here each weekend. How do these birds fly across all these thousands of miles and all that, right? There's so much about creation we don't understand that the Creator does. God even knows why you can't move your foot in a clockwise direction and make the number six. He can do that, I'm sure. I'm quite sure He can. He knows things, obviously, we don't because He's the Creator and we're the creation. And that's the point we're going to think about today. I was asking the Lord last week, what should we do for Christmas this year? What can we do? We have it done. You know the story. I mean, you're familiar with the traditions, and you know, obviously, what happened, for which we're so grateful. Is there something we could do this year, Christ, be new, that would be different? And instantly, the thought came to me, what could we learn about Christ from Christmas? What could Christmas teach us about Jesus that we really need to know? That seemed like a really simple idea. But the more I got into it, the more I realized how profound and transforming that really is. 
So each of our four Sundays this Advent season, we're going to pick a different lesson we learn about Jesus from His birth that we learn about Christ from Christmas and apply that to our lives. And we'll start today with the power of God. With questions, I have never looked at Christ from the miracle of Christmas. So the text is in the book of Colossians. I have never looked at this text in a Christmas setting at all. But as I looked at it this week, it became more and more powerful for me. So this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, excuse me, Colossians 1.15, says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now we could talk about that for weeks. It's an incredibly powerful idea, but let's unpack it this way. Scripture says that no one has ever seen God. In fact, Scripture says in Exodus 33, no, God says, no one may see me and live. Looking at God is kind of like looking at the sun. You can't do that for more than a second without damaging your eyes. In fact, I read this week, you would have to get as far away from the sun as Neptune or Pluto to be able to stare at it without injuring your eyes. That's how powerful it is. Well, God made that. Seeing God, even more powerful, even more amazing, even more omnipotent. And that's why the text says that Jesus is therefore that mirror image, that image, that way of seeing the invisible God that we ourselves as fallen mortals can't see. Here's a way of illustrating that. This is St. George's Chapel at Windsor, uh, George, at Windsor uh, Castle. This is the Queen's private castle. The Queen of England has a public castle, and she has a private castle, heard and such. And we have a castle. I've been there several times over the years when I've been part of doctoral studies at Oxford and such, and we always make a way to get out there when we can. This was especially known a couple years ago as the place where Prince Harry married Meghan, was at this location, at this castle. You walk into this chapel, which is 500 years old. It was 200 years old when America became a nation, all right? And you look up, and that's what you see. It's staggeringly incredible. The artistry, the architecture, I don't know that we could reproduce that today. It's absolutely astounding. But looking up at it becomes very difficult. You get dizzy standing, trying to stare up at that ceiling. And so they placed a mirror on the ground. It's a rectangular mirror, and it's pitched in such a way that you can look down to see up. Well, that's how it looks to you here. We couldn't get up to God, so God came down to us. We couldn't look up at God. So God looks down at us, and that's who Jesus is, as the image of the invisible God. But He's not just the mirror image. The Greek in the original language has in it the idea that He is Himself the very God that He's making visible to us. He's God with skin on. He's a God we can see. But He's not just the mirror of the ceiling. He's the ceiling itself. Come down to us is the idea. The text continues. He is the firstborn of all creation was with God, and the Word born at a point in time. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. Jesus has always eternally existed, as did the Father. What Paul has in mind here is that Jesus has the status of the firstborn. He has the authority. He has the power. He has the inheritance of the firstborn of all creation. Then Paul continues, by him, by Jesus, by the Christ of Christmas, all things were created. Jesus made you. Jesus made these trees and this beauty. All things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
In Genesis 1, when the Bible says, God said, let there be light, Jesus was the agent by which light came to be. When God said, let there be a dry ground separated from the, from the oceans, Jesus was the agent by which all of that happened. Jesus was and is that agent of creation, of all that exists. To illustrate his power, think about it this way. You're on a planet that seems like it's sitting still, but it's actually spinning. A thousand, 40 miles an hour. Don't get seasick, right? You think you're sitting still, right? You think you're not going anywhere. You think you're on this stable place, 40 miles an hour. It's been what it is, but that's actually not at all true. Your planet is spinning 1,040 miles an hour. At the same time it's spinning on its axis, it's rotating around the sun at 66,600 miles an hour. Now, now you're really seasick, right? The planet rotating around the sun 66,600 miles an hour, but the solar system is moving through the Milky Way at 558,000 miles per hour. And the Milky Way galaxy is moving through the universe at 660,000 miles per hour. And Jesus made all of that. And then the text says, He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In Him, all of that holds together. And then, miracle of miracles, the God who spoke all of that, who created all of that, who holds all of that across all of this universe, 14.2 billion light years across, all of that had the power to fold Himself down to become a baby in a manger. The power of Christmas. Calm storms. And he didn't stay a baby, did he? He walked on water. And he calmed storms. And he healed lepers. And he healed blind eyes. And he raised dead bodies. And he's coming again. And that's the power of Christmas. What does the power of Christmas mean for us in practical terms? Let me make a few suggestions. Let's see if one of these is especially relevant to you today. First of all, because of the power of Christmas, you have power over temptation. That may be especially relevant to you today. All of us are tempted. Scripture says anyone who says he's not tempted makes himself out to be a liar. That's absolutely the case for fallen people. But maybe that's especially an issue for you right now. Maybe you've been dealing with some temptation that's been really tough for you. Maybe you're at a place of real challenge in your life right now spiritually. Well, Scripture says, no temptation is overtake, but that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. If you couldn't defeat this temptation with the help of God, you wouldn't be facing it. Now, you can't defeat it in your strength, but in His strength you can. That's what that text says. The Christ of Christmas has the power to defeat that temptation. If you'll turn it over to Him, if you'll trust it to Him, if you'll do what He says, whether it's seeing a counselor or speaking to someone or whatever it is His leadership is in your life, He up against Satan himself, that temptation, if you'll trust Him for it. It may be that you feel like you're up against Satan himself and he's beating you up and he's defeating you and you get the sense that you're this defeated foe and he's this conquering sword of power in your life. But Scripture says, this is 1 John 2.14, I write to you, young men, you are strong, the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You can't defeat him yourself, but Jesus can. 
and the Christ of Christmas will give you the power you need to defeat even the adversary in your life on a more positive level. Scripture calls us to take the gospel to the entire world, and that seem, may seem impossible to you. It may seem that there's really nothing you can do to tell someone about Christ. You're afraid to do that. You don't know that you're trained to do that. You're not sure of that. You feel weak about that. You feel inadequate about that. You're sitting on an airplane next to somebody, and they start talking to you, and you realize they probably need to hear about Jesus, and you get really nervous about talking to Jesus. So do I in those settings. I understand that. And you get to a place where you wonder if God really can use you. Well, in Acts 1-8, Jesus' last words before his ascension, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The power of God to accomplish the purpose of God. It could be that you're struggling to pray these days. It could be that you're, you feel that God's not hearing you, that you feel that your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling as they say, that you're not connecting with intercedes for us. But Scripture says, We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. As you pray, the Spirit prays. The Father praying to Himself, as it were, the Spirit to the Father. One last point. We can even see the sick healed by the power of God. Janet and I are kind of uh, very burdened this morning. We got a text from our oldest son in Tyler. Learned from him last night that their three-year-old son that was with us over uh, Thanksgiving has, was not feeling well. They had him to the doctor while they were there. Turns out he has the flu. Turns out this morning their daughter has the flu and his wife has the flu. He had his, uh, their daughter, our granddaughter, at the doctor this morning. Then he got her back and Candace is sick and now Ryan has to go teach Sunday school and his family is home sick and it's not the end of the world, but it's, it's, it's a burden. It's a tough thing. You may have something in your life far tougher than that. And you're wondering if God really has the power to to heal, the power to move, the power to grant your prayers. But Scripture says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. This isn't health and wealth. It doesn't mean you'll always be healthy and wealthy. It means God will give whatever's best when we trust Him. The power of Christmas, or you need the power of Christmas today. Where do you need the power of Christmas today? Where do you need the power of God? Where most do you need the power of Jesus? First of all, How do we experience that power personally? Let's close with that. A few suggestions. First of all, out of my own experience, (laughs) the significance of going to God first. We're all, uh, we live in this culture, this self-made culture. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know? You can do anything. If you get up earlier, stay up later, try harder, work longer. I get that. I kind of subscribe to that myself. Uh, God can't give you what you won't receive. God can't lead where you won't follow. My tendency is to go to God last after I've tried everything else you know, to do it myself as best I can, to make God the spare tire that I get out when I really need Him, when He really wants to be the steering wheel that drives the vehicle. There's a reason Jesus got up a great while before day, went to a solitary place and prayed. Even Jesus started the day with God. Even Jesus had to begin the day with His Lord. What is it that is on your heart today? Where do you need the power of God? Have you taken it to Him? Have you literally, intentionally taken it to Him? verbally taken it to him. Jesus, I'm asking you for this. Jesus, I'm trusting you with this. I'm trusting the power of Christmas for this. Go to him first. Second suggestion, out of my own experience, then stay close to him all day. I became a Christian in 1973. Back in the 70s, a thing was happening in the church that was known as the quiet time movement. The idea is 
time, kind of like a time alone with God at the start of every day. They called it a quiet time. You ever heard it called a quiet time? Kind of like a time out, I guess, for your soul a little bit. And there were all sorts of ways of doing this. There was a 959 plan that would show you how to spend nine minutes and 59 seconds with God and had it all charted out. Then, then after that, you graduated to the Marine Corps, and it was the 2959 plan. And you could spend 29 minutes and 59 seconds with God. And there were tabs in the, for, in the binder and formulas and all these various ways to spend this time with God, all of which are terrific. It's a wonderful thing to do to be that disciplined and that scripted and that regular about your time with God. But here was the downside for me. Once my youth minister started teaching our youth group how to have a quiet time, how to start the day alone with God, to read the Bible and pray and spend time with God, I just kind of got the impression, now I've done my God stuff, checked the box, you know, took out the trash, walked the dog, to go to kind of go through the day. I've met with God, so now I kind of go through the day. That's why you go to church on Sunday, right? So you can get the God thing out of the way for the week, right? Kind of set up the week that way. You know, you do what you're supposed to do, and then God does what He's supposed to do. Go to church on Sunday, so God will bless you on Monday, and have a quiet time to start the day, so God will bless the day. Kind of this idea that after I spent, after I went to God first, I was then kind of set for the day. And I found the hard way how untrue that is. Jesus doesn't want to be a few minutes at the start of the day. Jesus has his power every minute of the day. Jesus wants to experience, for us to experience his presence, his, his power, his strength, his joy, his leadership, his direction. The Christ of Christmas came at Christmas but never left. In the power of his Holy Spirit, he's still present today. We are the body of Christ today. He wants you to experience him all through the day. Are you taking time during the day to pray? Are you taking time during the day to consider Scripture? Are you taking time during the day to get reconnected, to get recommitted, to get plugged in again, to get close to Him again, to experience the power of Christmas, trust the Christ of Christmas, then practice the presence of Christmas, and then last, be committed to the purpose of Christmas. Acts 1.8 again, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, but here's why, so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. God gives us His power as we're willing to fulfill His purpose. So what would Acts 1-8 look like for you this Christmas? I've come today to challenge you to make an Acts 1-8 commitment for Christmas, to be His witness in Jerusalem where you live, Judea, Samaria, where you travel, ends of the earth if you go that far, to be His witness this Christmas, to say words of kindness to frustrated store clerk, to be the one patient person in the line in the store, to be that voice of grace when your family gets together, when your family struggles, to be that person who prays when others don't, to be His witness this Christmas. Would you decide on the first day of December, the first Sunday of Advent, that you will be His witness this Christmas. If you will, you will have the power of Christmas. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness. As we fulfill His purpose, we have His power. So what do we learn about Christ from Christmas? In coming weeks, we're going to learn other things about Jesus. We're going to learn about His humility. We're going to learn about His humanity. We're going to learn about His presence in our lives. We're going to learn a lot about Christ from Christmas. But for today, let's remember the power 
that created the universe that holds all things together, that was so powerful that it could reduce itself down to be the tiniest newborn baby. And he did that for you. He'd come again just for you. He'd be born again just for you. So where is it you need his power? Over temptation, over Satan, to be his witness, to pray effectively, to see the sick healed. Where do you need his power? If you go to him first, we'll be your close to him all day. Focus on his purpose. The power of Christmas will be your Christmas. Need to close with this, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. I've been reading Oswald Chambers' Mutmost for His Highest. It's a classic devotional guide. Been reading it every year for a very long time, since it was given to me a many, many years ago, 27 years ago, actually. I received it in kindergarten, just so, just so you know. You know. And um, uh, there are many things in it that really speak to me as I read through it in the year. But yesterday, I read my favorite paragraph in all of Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. And I wanted to share it with you today. This is the last paragraph of the November 30 reading in Oswald Chambers. There is only one relationship that matters, and that is your personal relationship to a personal Redeemer and Lord. Let everything else be personal, but maintain that at all costs, and God will fulfill His purpose through your life. One individual life may be a priceless value to God's purpose, and yours may be that life. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you so grateful for the power that created us and created the universe that reduced itself down to be a baby for us, to be born into our flesh, to walk on our planet, to breathe our air, to face our temptations, to feel our pain, to be one of us that we might be one with you. Now, Father God, this day and this week, help us to claim the power of the Christ of Christmas your power where we need your power most. Help us to go to you first and through the day and be your witness to your glory that others might see the reality of Christmas through the Christ who lives in us. I pray for me and us in Jesus' name. Amen.